Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Good evening, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. If you listened to episode seven, you met my cousin Stacy in Alabama. Well, tonight we're going to do something a little similar. We are going to go to Florida to meet another cousin of mine, Emily. We are both notorious for being open books and oversharers, so we're going to work really hard to uh, make sure that we don't go on for too long in our stories and conversations. But um, Emily, welcome. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on this. And I just was hoping you'd introduce yourself to all the listeners. Thank you. Well, you will find that I am just like Stacy with a Southern accent, <laughs> but I am really excited to come and to spend this time with you, Jessica, and to also be able to share the story God's written over our lives. My upbringing is from Tennessee. I was raised in Tennessee, but I moved to Pensacola, Florida about 10 years ago, and we never want to leave the beach. We absolutely love it down here. I have five kids, married my husband almost 25 years ago, and we have five that are ages 5, 10, 10, 11, and 18. Two of those kiddos came to us through adoption, international adoption. I work as an ambassador for Noonday Collection. That's my job. I'm advocating for artisans all over the world. And we also do some ministry work in Liberia. So we are a very, very busy family. You are. And on on that note, how has pandemic life uh, changed your busy life? How are you all doing? Well, it's been different every day. I will say that this has been the greatest gift that our family could have received in the season that we were in. I know that that is not the truth for so many families. So I want to honor that for other families, that this is a very difficult time for health, for finances. We are being affected financially by this, but I had no idea how close to just complete collapse our family was until we were forced into this season of quiet and rest. And it has given us time to rest. It's given us time to kind of reevaluate where we're going with life once all of this starts to lift and we get to our new normal. It has given us time to reconnect with kids. And I felt the Lord tell me very early on, like in the first one or two weeks in my prayer time, I just felt him saying, you have an opportunity with this to either get closer to me and to your family or to waste this time. And so we've been trying very hard to lean into that, but it has been, it's been a blessing. Now with two kids who are adopted and come from trauma backgrounds, it's also been incredibly, incredibly incredibly difficult. Some days are just, they just knock you down and take you out. But as a whole, it's been a gift. You know, you're not the only one that has found the blessings within sort of this crisis. And I'm, that's very encouraging, I think, to know that there are as, as hard as things have been and how many, you know, kind of tragic dominoes have fallen out of this, there are still gifts and there are still blessings to be found in the process. Yeah. Yeah, about just like a month before all of this happened, I was walking through Target and saw a, a mug that said, see the good. And I grabbed it. I love mugs. I have a ton of them from travels and things that say things that mean something to me. But this one it was just, 
I thought, you know, that is something I personally need to work on in my life. And so I grabbed it. And about a month later, when all this hit, I was like, oh, that was so good of the Lord to put that in my hands because it's constantly in front of me that how in the midst of all of this, can we see the good in it, even in the pain even in the tragedy, even in the the struggle, the conflict, whatever it is that we're dealing with, how can we still see things that are good in our lives? And I think that keeps us from just kind of collapsing under the weight of it all. Absolutely. I fully agree. And so as we now kind of turn to diving into your past, I think sometimes it's maybe harder to see the good in our lives when we're in the middle of storms. But then looking back, you can start to see how it was all connected. And like you mentioned before, don't waste this time. And maybe looking back over your life and seeing things that maybe weren't the best or the happiest, but they're not to be wasted. So with that, I would just like to invite you to dive into your story and tell us you gave us your starting point in Tennessee and about your you know childhood and met you how you met your husband and created your family. And I know there's a lot of chapters in between, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot, a lot to our story, but I grew up in Nashville, lived in the same house for the first 16 years of my life. I was the oldest of three kids raised in a Christian home. And I don't know if it was partly my personality. I learned very quickly on that being good and being perfect was the way to be accepted. And so that became just my MO for life. In school, anything less than an A was not okay. And I made choices throughout my education that were less than honorable at times because I had to get that perfect grade. I had to get that top spot or the highest in the class or whatever, because my identity and my self-worth was not, it wasn't grounded in who I was as a person and who I was created to be, but rather than, rather in what I was doing, if that makes sense. And so I became not controlling as much as people around me, but just of my own self and my own environment and trying to control every aspect to make it be what I needed it to be to feel worthy. And so fast forward, my dad got a new job when I was 16 and it moved us to Memphis. And I met my husband the day we moved there, but I was mad as a red hornet that we had left my home. <laughs> uh, I, you know, we'd left my friends, we'd left my boyfriend at the time, just everything that I knew, our church. And it was just, is very traumatic for me. Now, like you said earlier, looking back, I can definitely see God's hand and God's design in that. My husband, Brian, is the greatest gift to me and the perfect balance for me. But at the time, I was just mad at the world. For, for what was going on. I'm going to kind of go a little bit more quickly through all of that early parts of my life because I really want to get into the season where we started to build our family. But Brian and I dated for a couple of years. Short story, I got freaked out and broke up with him. And that was the worst three months of my life. After three months, I was ready to come back and he was not. And that took about two more years for us to finally get back together. And when we did, we knew that was it. That was going to be, if we, we knew if we went out on another date, that that was going to be it. And so we got married when we were little babies, 22 years old, and started living that life in our dream of having a family. 
And when it came time for us to decide, yes, it's time to start building our family, we thought, oh, this is just going to be so easy, right? How many of us have that um, story? And it did not happen. Back then, there were not a lot of the tests that are available now for infertility. And we did not know what was wrong. We had no idea. Went through three years of infertility testing, Clomid. We tried artificial and that didn't work because of the way my cycles were doing. And somewhere in all of that, they gave me a blood test and said that I had polycystic ovarian syndrome. And so they said, you may not be able to have kids. And back then, now we know with PCOS that there's a lot of things that can be done. It doesn't have to be a big deal. But back then it was just kind of like, you may never even conceive uh, because of this. And so as somebody who got their self-worth from being the bright shining star, that was devastating. And, you know, all I wanted to be was a mom. So we did the drugs, continued all the treatments, and finally got pregnant with our first child and were obviously over the moon. And when I was about 12 weeks along, started to have really bad cramping and um, a little bit of spotting, went to the doctor. They were like, just rest. It's okay. It's normal. It just kept getting more and more intense. And about 13 weeks, went into the doctor's office again and had an ultrasound. And they said there was no heartbeat. And our first miracle child was taken away. And I remember we didn't really have cell phones. There was a phone there in the room with the ultrasound room. I remember calling our parents and All I could get out was that we had lost the baby. I couldn't even talk. The grief, it just pierced me through. I remember getting on the elevator after I had to have a DNC. And I remember getting on the elevator and feeling so empty inside. And these people getting on the elevator, just living out their normal day. And I wanted to scream out, I just lost my child. This is not a normal day. You're not just going to lunch. Like I just lost my baby and I just, I didn't even know how to process it. So I don't remember really feeling angry at God at that point. I just remember feeling just very confused and lost. Why would you, why would you let us go through all of this time of treatments just to take the baby away? So we processed through that. That was May the 22nd of 2000. And on his due date, which was November, we conceived our second child, who is my 18-year-old, Hannah, my rainbow baby. Great pregnancy, no complications. Um, I remember when she was born thinking, I turned to Brian, I was like, oh my gosh, when do we get to do that again? It was just the most incredible experience. And she has been just the absolute joy of our lives. When she was one, we went to a Stephen Curtis Chapman concert. We were big fans, still are big fans of Stephen Curtis Chapman and his music and his ministry. And we were at a concert and it was right after he had adopted his first child from China. And he started this video showing her journey and he played the song that he had written for her and just as audible as I'd ever heard God, he said, you're, you're adopting, you're adopting. And I just kind of looked at my husband and he looked back at me and he's like, what? And I'm like, we're adopting. 
And of course, I'm always the one who is like, okay, go, go, you know, like just pushing ahead like a freight train. And he's like, slow down, slow down. And I'm like, whatever, we're adopting. <laughs> but he very quickly felt like God was calling us that too. But again, with the control, we were like, well, we, that's great, God, but we've got our plan. So we're going to have all of our biological kids that we want to have. Um, and then we're going to adopt a kid and that'll be awesome. And God's like, mm, no, I'm the one in control, not you. We started the infertility treatments again, started all the medications. Nothing obviously was working. And we finally, I ended up getting really, really sick. Just an unexplainable illness. It was about a year long, lots of digestive stuff. I lost like 30 pounds. But in the midst of all that, obviously I couldn't be pursuing fertility treatments. And finally, you know, hard headed as I am, finally about a year in, I was like, okay, we're not supposed to be pursuing this. We're supposed to be obeying God with this adoption. So we chose China. Our heart was pulled towards international adoption. We chose China because it was the fastest at the time. And we wanted that baby as fast as we could get it. Right. And in the end, it took us five and a half years to complete that adoption. It also was the cheapest at the time. And because of the five and a half year process, we had to reapply for several things over that five and a half year time. And so it ended up costing us almost double what we thought it was going to cost. So again, lack of control, right? And in the midst of that, I tried to take control back. The market right in like 2007, the housing market was absolutely booming and we bought a piece of land. We were going to build this house. People were building these giant houses in Memphis and flipping them and making a hundred grand and moving on. And we thought, well, there you go. There's how we're going to pay for our adoption. We're just going to build this giant house that we never should have qualified for. Right. We got the loan, started building. And that was in 2008, which most people know was the complete crash of the housing market and economy, by the way, had blaring stop signs in front of us the whole way. Don't do this. Don't do this. Not just from people, but I mean, just stop signs. God was sending them everywhere. This is not how to do this. Trust me. I will provide the money, but we chose to take control in our own hands. And right when we started to do the work, the economy crashed, building prices went up 30% and we had bad dirt that they didn't tell us about when we bought the property. And so we were $40,000 in the hole before we ever poured the slab because of dirt work that we had to do. So a little bit of a lesson in trusting God when he says, don't do this because I know what is better. <laughs> we ended up losing our house in a short sale. And in the midst of all of that stress, our mortgage was more than Brian's income, just our mortgage, not the rest of our bills. It was more than Brian's income. I had to go back to work, got a retail job. We still to this day don't understand how we paid the bills. But God, because that's who he is, he is faithful even in our mistakes to provide and to be gracious. And somehow we never missed a mortgage payment, nor did we miss any of our other bill payments. I still have no explanation for that. But in the middle of all that, we got pregnant again, not planning whatsoever. Um, we got pregnant and about seven, eight weeks in, we lost that baby. And I remember laying on the bed when I started to spot, just begging God, 
not to take this baby. I was like, I didn't even ask for this baby. I didn't pray for this baby. Why in the world are you giving me this child just to take it away again? And so we processed that grief again, a second time. Let's see, that was in 2007. In the beginning of 2009, we got pregnant again, still in the process of adoption because that took five and a half years. We got pregnant again with my son, extremely high stress pregnancy, but it did go well and he was born healthy and we were just over the moon with his little surprise to our family that we weren't expecting. Because of that, we had to put our adoption on hold for a little bit in China because of when he was born, because we were getting very close to when we would get our referral and and Abby would come home to our family. And because of that window where they require a baby be there for a year, we had to put it on hold for just a little bit and money. But God took our little family. We had him in October of, of 2009. God opened a door for a new job in Pensacola. We moved four days after Christmas when my baby was eight weeks old and moved us to Pensacola. That was an adventure, but we immediately fell in love with our new home. And God knew that he was going to be using the people in the church that he was going to lead us to, to help us complete this adoption. At the end of the process, we were right at the end. We needed a little more than $5,000, I think, to complete the process. We had no idea what we were going to do or where that was going to come from. Came home from church one day and a precious friend of mine who had, I think she had four kids at the time. She has more than that now. They were in the process of their own adoption, Uh, showed up at my door in the afternoon and she handed me a check and she said, this is for you guys. And I opened it up and it was for $5,000 and I just wept. And I looked at her and I said, you guys are in your own adoption process. You cannot give this to us. And she said, no, no, our adoption's paid for. And God very clearly told me this morning that I was supposed to give this to you. So, I mean, just look at the redemptive qualities that God has in taking this story where we were trying to control every aspect of our family, of raising a family, of birthing kids, of adopting kids. And we kept trying to take control here and take control here. And we kept messing it up. And every time we tried to take the reins, it fell apart. And then he graciously, every time they would come in and say, I'm still here and I'm still providing. He gave us our son when we weren't expecting it. He provided every penny we needed for Abby to be adopted from China. And it's still just, it just blows me away how he can be that good. But he just again and again and again comes back in graciousness and in mercy. He does. And this gracious and merciful God was not done with your story. You had a miracle waiting. So what happened next? So in April of 2011, after five and a half years of waiting, we finally got the call for our referral. And the way China operates, you don't get to see your child. You don't get connected to a child until the very end of the process. So I was at home. My mom was at home with me. And one of my best friends in the world, Sarah, was also visiting from Tennessee. And my phone rang. It was the adoption agency. And they said, we're looking at her. That was the only thing that came out of her mouth. She didn't even say hello. She just said, I'm looking at her. And I I just, like, I just started weeping. And Sarah heard me immediately and came running. And we knew we were really close to getting the referral. 
So it's like she just innately knew what was happening. And so she came running, my mom came running, and we just, I fell to the ground in this puddle of tears, so just excited about this news that we had been waiting so long for. Sarah and my mom just kind of huddled there on the floor with me, and we prayed. I couldn't even talk because I was crying so hard. But I remember Sarah praying and just thanking the Lord for that moment of, I mean, it was like a birth at that moment before it had just been, we're adopting this child and we don't know who they are. And then they told us this is who she was. So it was like a birth in our family at that moment. And so they gave us her file. We got to see her precious little picture with her little rosebud lips. And she was wrapped in about 12 layers of clothing. She was this huge, just like marshmallow looking kid. She was so precious. And about a week later was her birthday on April the 8th. And so we had a birthday party for Abby, even though she wasn't home yet. We had a birthday and we had friends over and we had cupcakes and we sang happy birthday to her. And it was just our way of connecting to this child that was going to be coming home. So in the first week of May, right around May the 1st, we got the phone call that it was time to go to China. It was a whirlwind. And May 19th, we left the United States to travel to China and get our daughter. And just as God would have it, just as God would have it, they handed her to us on May the 22nd. On the day that I thought my heart would stop beating 11 years prior when my first child passed away. They handed my baby girl to me on the exact same day. And it was like God saying, I redeem every loss, everything that you go through. I redeem that. And so May 22nd is quite the date for us now. It's the date that our little boy went to be with Jesus. And it's the day that our Abby came to be part of our family. And there is no coincidence that today is May 22nd. Even though I didn't know that, I didn't have that date in my mind. We didn't plan for this. It quote unquote just happened. In other words, God's amazing. So on this very special May 22nd day, this anniversary, many would think that that that's it. That's the end of the story and this this beautiful ending and everyone lives happily ever after. And yet God is still not done with your story. So what happened after that? In 2012, we had another surprise pregnancy. This time, the Lord gave me a dream just a couple weeks after I found out that I was pregnant. And this is a word that I want every mama who has had a miscarriage to hear. Those first two miscarriages, I kept saying, why? Why did you let me conceive this child? Knowing that they would never open their eyes on this earth. And I had this dream and it was of a little boy and his name was Levi. And God was saying, this is your son. Now, mind you, I was five, six weeks pregnant. There's no way to know what gender the child or anything like that. But God said, this is your son and his name is Levi. And about seven weeks into my pregnancy, seven, eight weeks again, he died. And I sat in church a couple of weeks later 
Well, first of all, being my third miscarriage, I thought I wouldn't grieve as much. For some reason, I thought this was going to be, you know, by now, by three, surely it won't hurt as bad. It hurt just as bad or if not worse as my first one. And I went to church and I remember sitting in that chair. Everybody else was standing to sing and I couldn't even stand. My grief was so heavy. I just sat there in the chair with my head down towards my knees, praying. They sang, holy, holy, holy. And a few years prior to that, the Lord had given me this vision when my grandmother, you know, my grandmother, Precious Murr, you guys shared a birthday, one of the most remarkable influences in my life. But not long after she died, the Lord gave me this vision of her standing before the throne, singing what comes out of Isaiah, where it says that the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're repeating this over and over and over again. So every time I would sing that song, I would think of her and I would think of my grandmother and our family members and friends who have gone before us to live in heaven forever and ever and how my singing that was uniting me with them in heaven, that we were singing the same thing to the same God at the same time. So that day, sitting in that seat, I thought of my son, Levi, and how he was singing the praises of God with Mur, with all of the people who had gone before, you know, and I was again asking the question, why, why? And Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart very clearly said, before he was ever even created, I set him apart to be for my purposes and for service in my eternal kingdom. And I thought of my dream and how God had called his name Levi and how the Levites were the ones who were set apart for the service of God. And it didn't take the pain away of losing my child or of losing my other two children, but it gave me comfort in knowing that their creation of their souls and their early departure from earth was not in vain, that God had specific jobs, specific things for them waiting in heaven. And he said, and I gave you the privilege of creating that life to be set apart only for me. He let me be part of that story. There wasn't going to be any way, according to the way God has set up our universe, there wasn't going to be any way for Levi to be with him, to serve him forever without giving us the privilege of creating that life. So that story, as I minister and speak to moms who have gone through miscarriages and loss, is, I believe, God's way of saying, I'm not wasting any part of this. I'm not wasting any part of this story. So after Levi, we still felt like our family wasn't finished. We didn't know what that was going to look like. Right after we lost Levi, the Lord led us to a new chapter in our life, in our ministry, through a missionary at our church with Light Evangelism Ministry and Mark Don. He's a Liberian who lives here in Pensacola. And we had become heavily, heavily involved in orphan care because we had been through the adoption process. We had seen the need we had seen even the the difficulty that comes through adoption. I think so many people think that adoption is going to be as long as you love the child, that's enough. And that is the furthest from the truth. Obviously, love is very, very important. But when you take kids from hard places and take them from a place of loss um, and trauma, this is a lifelong mission that you're on now with this child of healing and restoration. 
So we had already really gotten into the adoption community and being ministered to by people who had been in this longer than us and starting to minister to other families who were wanting to adopt and wanting to make sure that they understood that this was not just we're going to adopt and then life is going to be rainbows and sunshine because that's not often the way it turns out with adoption. And we really, really were feeling the Lord's call to some international adoption or, or orphan care in some way. So we got connected to Mark Don with Light Evangelism Ministry. And he, we said, how can we as a church help to come alongside you? He said, I have so many kids that I minister to in Liberia, orphans, some single orphans, some double orphaned, which is another thing I didn't even know existed. Single orphan, one parent still living, but cannot care for the child for one reason or another double orphan, both parents have passed away. He had children who were double orphan and single orphan that he was caring for. And he said, but I just, I don't have the funds. I don't have the way to continue to feed these kids and care for them and pay their school fees and all the things that come for caring for them. And I said, well, you know, we were a smaller church at the time. I said, why don't you just bring their pictures over and let's, let's just put that before the church and just kind of see what happens. And I had had a background in um, helping with some child sponsorship programs. So I said, let's just, let's just throw it out there. And so he brought the pictures one Sunday. A couple months before that, my friend Nikki had come to me and said, I keep having these dreams about this little girl. And she's four years old. She has brown skin. Her name is Ruth. Like I have all these specific details and she just keeps saying that she needs help. She keeps crying out for help. And she's like, what is this? Are we supposed to adopt? What does this mean? And I said, well, I obviously have no idea, <laughs> but I said, let's just keep praying over it and let's just see where the Lord leads. So we prayed over it that day. We continued to pray over it, over this little girl, Ruth. So Mark comes a couple months later with the pictures of all these kids. And the, one of the first ones he puts up on the wall is a little four-year-old brown skinned girl named Ruth. And I called Nikki immediately and I said, I am looking at her. I am looking straight at the face of the girl from your dream. Needless to say, Nikki was one of our first sponsors. <laughs> that was not even a question. We put that in front of our church body that day. I was able to tell them that story because that happened before people started to get to church. And within the week, we had every kid sponsored. And we looked at Mark and we said, okay, God's obviously doing something here. We have to go. And so about five months later, Brian, my husband and me and two kids in college from our church went to Liberia, West Africa to start piloting this child sponsorship program. And I found my purpose when I was there. My whole life, I had been trying to figure out what God had for me to do. And he had led us into this world of adoption. He had led us into ministering to people with loss. Once I got to Africa, though, it all made sense that I had been called to a life of advocacy, whether that was speaking up for people here in America who were on the margins, people who were underprivileged, people on the outside, people who were overlooked, whether it's homeless, foster care, whatever it was here locally, but also internationally. And I, I just found my center there. We went to the children's home with these kids that we had sponsored, got to meet them, got to spend time with them. We profiled so many other kids that were in need. But in the midst of that, they put my sponsor child that my kids had picked out in my lap. And she was about three years old, the cutest little, just chubby, amazing little girl you'd ever seen. And her name was Betty. 
And she just, I think out of fear, not out of love, but she clung tightly to my body. She just was so scared. She'd very likely never seen a white person before. And she was terrified. But her caregiver, who is now one of my very best friends in the world, Rebecca, told me Betty's story and how she had come to the children's home. Her mother died when she was two months old and her father couldn't care for her. So she came to Rebecca. He came to Rebecca and said, please care for my child. And I love there's so many more details to her story, but that's her story to tell. So that's kind of the high view. But we immediately developed this bond. And when it was time for us to go, I handed her back to Rebecca and just could not stop bawling because I felt like I was handing my child back to Rebecca. I felt like she was taking my child from me. But at the time, Liberia was closed to adoption. And so we just committed as a family. We were going to support her all the way through high school, through college. We would pay for her to go to college. She would be part of our family. We just wouldn't be able to be with her. We came back from that trip. That was in 2013. And in 2015, got another surprise pregnancy. So this was number six. And this time, our sweet little Ruthie girl was born. And Ruthie is, if there has ever been a seven on the Enneagram, it is Ruthie. So side note, if you're not familiar with the Enneagram, it's just a way to analyze personality types. So Ruthie 100% is a seven on the Enneagram. She is life of the party, loves an adventure. She is just the craziest, funniest kid. And she, again, not being expected, was exactly what our family needed. At that point, Abby had been home for four years, and we were in the middle of the deepest, deepest valley processing with her through her trauma from the first year before she came to our family. And the pressure and the just the hardness of where we were needed Ruthie, and God knew that. At the same time, my mom was diagnosed with MCI, which is mild cognitive impairment. It is a precursor to Alzheimer's. So we had a lot going on in our life and God in his goodness knew that the joy that Ruthie was going to bring us was exactly what we were going to need in the middle of all of that. So she was God's surprise gift to us. And then not long after she was born, I got on the Google and said, Liberian adoption, let's just see what's going on. And a moratorium on the adoption had just been recently been lifted and I texted my husband in all capital letters. Liberia is open. We are going to get Betty. And he, of course, said, put on the brakes. And again, I said, nope, it's happening. We are adopting this child. God did some incredible things to confirm over and over to us that it was what he wanted us to do because to the outside world, this seemed absolutely insane because Abby was at the height of processing this trauma the behavioral issues that we were dealing with were just indescribable. If you don't experience it firsthand, I was dealing with a huge amount of anxiety and secondary trauma from what we were having to do, go through with her. So it didn't make any sense at all, but God knew that we were supposed to have her. And so we obeyed. We stepped out in faith, even though it didn't make sense. And we started the process and it'll be two years this July. Betty came into our family. And so that completed finally after 
gosh, 18 years of trying to have kids, we we're like, okay, this is it. We are finally done. <laughs> so now we have the two that are adopted and my son in the middle who are virtual triplets, which makes life unbelievably crazy. We have Ruthie who tries to copy everything that they do, good, bad, and the ugly. And we have Hannah who just finished her first year of college. She's back, which she has been lamenting a lot because she misses her friends. But in all of this, in this quarantining, it's given us a chance to really reconnect as a family and refocus and get outside of so much busyness that we lose sight of what's truly important, which is family. It's family and it's Jesus. And so we're so, so grateful that this is, is giving us a chance to move back into that. Oh my gosh, Emily. Well, you have touched on so many pieces of a woman's life that I know a lot of listeners have either lived through or are currently living through and are are very relatable. Everything from moving somewhere that you didn't want to move to a health issue with uh, your mom to losing a grandma to miscarriage, infertility, adoption, having a heart for you know trying to find your purpose and and calling but there was something that that really stood out that i think every woman in some way shape or form can identify with and that is the need to control and i know you know like you talked about the enneagram and all these other things there are definitely some of us that our personality is more inclined to being controlling for sure and others that are very low-key and go with the flow but regardless of your personality I think we all still have this human nature to try and be the one maybe in charge rather than surrendering it to God. Of course. Yeah. So I wanted to know if you would share just a little more about how the need and desire to control things has sort of shifted or changed throughout your story. Right. Well, I'd like to say that the need for control is no longer there, but that's not true at all. I feel like that's always going to be there in some degree. I think that's just innate in us to want to be the one in charge. But part of that, you know, that I talked about was just that striving for being perfect. I'm not a perfectionist by nature in any stretch, but more striving for just those accolades. But that transferred into my spiritual life with, with, like I said, feeling like God wasn't going to accept me unless I was doing things for him. So it, it was my belief in Jesus Christ and all of these other things in order to be accepted. And I would have told you the only thing I had to do to spend eternity in heaven with Jesus was to believe in Jesus and his death on the cross for me. But my life was showing Jesus plus. It was a performance-based religion, which is completely contrary to scripture, but it's the way I was living. So in 2013, I found myself at the very first if gathering in Austin, Texas. And at the time I told my friend, I said, I'm on medication, which we really haven't touched in this podcast about my struggle with anxiety and depression, but it's decades long. And so I was in a season where I was on medication, grateful for medication. And I said, I can't cry because of this med that I'm on. So if you see me crying, you're going to know that God is doing something crazy in my heart. And we kind of laughed about it. Well, then Christine Kane got up, who is one of my favorite speakers on 
this planet for sure. And she started to talk about the Israelites leaving Egypt for the promised land. And it should have taken them 11 days. That's how long the journey should have taken. But instead, it took 40 years because of their unbelief, because of their not trusting God, because of their wanting to take control of the things that they wanted to take control of. And she said they were delivered, but they were not free. And God immediately hit me in the heart with that. And he said, you have not been trusting me. You've been trying to earn your worth and your approval from me through your good deeds, through your actions. And you know, the funny thing about that is that every time I would do something bad, what came with it? Mountains of shame and guilt because I'd failed him yet again. And so in that moment at that conference, he said, you don't have to do any of that for me to love you. You've been delivered a long time ago, but you are not living in freedom. And they started to worship and the tears just flooded down my face. And it was like a symbol of this release of this performance-based religion that I had been living my entire life. And I was finally understanding that all this grasping of control that I had been doing was only taking me deeper and deeper and deeper into this pit of shame and guilt that wasn't necessary. It wasn't what I was created for. And so it didn't instantly change, right? But my awareness of what was going on instantly changed. And since then, God has slowly brought me to this place of understanding his grace, of understanding that I didn't have to control anything that I could trust him in the midst of parenting a trauma child and losing a third miscarriage and losing a house to a short sale in in a crashed economy. And, you know, even finding ministry in Liberia and wanting desperately to be there full time, but I can't right now, you know, he hasn't led us there yet. And normally I would want to be forcing that to happen. But what I've learned is the best and easiest place is to sit back, to let him control, and to just rest in his presence. And that is a hard place to be. That's a very active place. That's not passive, because that's a daily, daily choice. And so what that looks like for me is daily taking stock. Am I looking at my surroundings? Am I looking horizontally here at this circumstance? Am I looking at this child who is raging because of her trauma and then I get all depressed and woe is me and all of this? Or am I keeping my eyes focused vertically and saying, okay, you've brought me here every time you've taken care of me, every time you've provided the $5,000 for the adoption, the getting us out of the short sale without owing the bank any more money. You know, everything that he did for us, he is consistently providing for us. And so for me, releasing that control is keeping my eyes vertical. And every time it brings me back to that place of peace. Every time. I try to have a word every year. And a couple of years ago, my word was peace because we were, I mean, I could spend an hour just describing the horror of what our family life was like. And I begged God over and over, take it away take it away. Give us peace. Give us peace. But in my world, what that meant was fix this problem and then we're going to have peace. Right. 
But then he just hit me between the eyes one day and he said, peace is not the absence of this conflict. Peace is me and my presence in the midst of the conflict. And that was another step in my releasing control. Because before I had wanted to try to fix it all to make the pain go away. Instead of sitting back and trusting him to have his presence and his peace there with me in the moment and to fix it the way he wanted to fix it instead of my plan. Amen. I just don't think I ever met a woman that doesn't identify with that in some way. And as we're wrapping up, I was just hoping that you might take a few moments to um, speak just some words of hope to the women that are going to identify with really your path to motherhood, because that included infertility, adoption, and miscarriage, and childbirth, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, biological children and adoptive children. Like you, you've kind of covered the whole span. Anyway, just about. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there, there are a few other like, you know, possible things in there, but you've, you've, you've hit on quite a few in your life story. And I know that wasn't, that wasn't an accident. That wasn't God going, Oh, whoops, I kind of messed up with this plan. Mm -hmm. So we'll do this. And you know, okay, it takes five times to get it right or something like that. No, all five, well, all eight children. Were divinely purposed, uh, yeah, and known and beautiful, and maybe they'll be sharing their stories someday. You've given such uh, great insight for a way to look through the grief of some of those things, and I, I really often feel like women who have not experienced one of those three things, women who have not experienced adoption, women who have not experienced infertility, women who have not experienced miscarriage. I guess when you have experienced those things, it's really easy to feel like you're alone Mm. and that you're not understood. Like people don't understand what you're feeling and what you're going through. And there are a lot of misconceptions about all three of those things. Mm -hmm. So for the women who are listening, who are living through that chapter of their story, or maybe that was a chapter of their story long ago in the past, but those feelings just still hit home so much. If there was anything you wanted to share, just words of hope and words of understanding. Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that popped in my mind when you're saying that was find your tribe, find your people. When you go through something like infertility or miscarriage or even adoption, people who haven't walked that road can do their very best to genuinely empathize with you for where you are. But it really is just impossible to really understand all of the nuances that come with those journeys without being part of it. So if you're listening and you, I mean, that's my story. So those are the three areas that I most identify with. But if you're in one of those three and you don't have people who you talk to, find those people. I will help you find them. Jessica will help you find them. We know people that will come alongside you and they will cry with you and they will pray with you and they will encourage you, you know, especially with adopting a child from a trauma background. I need other adoptive moms with kids from a trauma background to be able to call and say, I cannot do this another day. And for them to understand that that doesn't mean that I don't love my kids And it doesn't mean that I don't want to be their parent, but the weight of that responsibility some days is just too hard. And you can't understand that if you're not part of that community. So that's the first thing is find your tribe. 
the second thing that gives me a lot of hope is worship is absolutely essential for me. And worship can look different to some people. I come from a highly musical family in every branch of our gigantic tree. (laughs) So for me, that is in music. It's in worship music. And that's another gift this quarantine has given us is I go every single morning. My kids know, do not open this door to the outside screened in porch from 745 to 815. Don't crack the door because that's my time. And I sit there and I just play worship music and I sing to the Lord. But what it does is it refocuses, like I was saying, it refocuses me off of the horizontal and back to the vertical and sets me for the day. And then the last thing is something that my cousin Greg said the other day. He was talking about the verse in, I don't know where, because I think the first Corinthians 13, where it says faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And he said that he heard somebody a long time ago say, the reason love is the greatest is because once we are in heaven, we're not going to need faith anymore because we're going to be seeing God for who he is. We're not going to be, have to trust anymore in the unseen. And there's not going to be a need for hope because everything is fulfilled. There's no more tears. There's no more pain, right? All of this is so temporary. And so keeping that eternal perspective of this is a blip right? That everything that we're living is a blip on the span of eternity and keeping focused that that day is coming. That gives me hope and helps me to know that this is not the end of me when things like that happen and things that are hard and keeping that eternal perspective. Yeah, those are three brilliant points. And I was I was listening to the same living room worship when he was saying that. And I loved that. I had never, I think, really thought of it that way that, yeah, a faith and hope are things that we need on, on earth, but in heaven, they're not necessary, but we, we just have the love. Yeah. Love. On a kind of logistical note here for finding your tribe, absolutely. I 100% agree with you. And that's on any topic, whatever it is, whether you are dealing with a health issue or a financial issue or an emotional issue or a marital issue. I mean, you name it, find your tribe. That's kind of, that's part of my job is to help you find those resources. So whether you're, again, part of the Calvary Mac family or in Oregon or not, but you can still reach out and, you know, you can go to the calvarymac.com website. You can find my contact info and there's a lot of resources I have that I can give you. And if any of the speakers on any of the podcasts have touched you in a particular way, they probably have resources as well. And if I know anything about these women, they are always open and willing to just sort of welcome you into their tribe and meet you, love you, pray with you. And I just think that is a a beautiful thing. You know, your story is not done yet, but I love the chapters that have been written so far. And I have this one vivid memory to sort of end on. Our family has these big southern reunions <laughs> which are fantastic and you're right everyone is everyone's musical except me i i videotape y'all while you play <laughs> music and sing that is that is not a i would give love to have that gift god didn't you're give me that gift. one <laughs> yeah, there you go an artistic one thank you <laughs> and, but kind of on that artistic note actually you had brought these canvases one mm-hmm. reunion mm-hmm. And we painted these just kind of little stick trees with some branches and everyone at the reunion took their finger and put it in some paint and made like a little dot 
on the branches. Uh, so it was sort of this artistic way to represent the family tree. Uh, Abby was little still. And I just remember she was kind of lifted up. This was probably her first family reunion. Yeah. And she was lifted up. Someone was holding her and she put her little, you know, finger in the paint and put her little fingerprint on this tree. And I mean, I could cry just thinking about it again, where you just think, gosh, you know, here's this little girl whose life started in this trauma and because of your obedience and and faithfulness to doing something that's not easy. I think a lot of us love the idea of it. We have the Hallmark version of it in our head, the Disney version of it in our head, where we get to just sort of swoop in and be the hero and everyone lives happily ever after. Yeah, no, it's the hardest (laughs) thing we've ever done, hands down. And yet, I don't know, Mm -hmm. just to see in that moment how worth it it all was that now her finger is 100% on that family tree forever within this family forever adopted welcomed in and which is you know which is exactly how we are in God's family right and when we're adopted into God's family it's not roses after that right we still struggle and we still have our own traumas and we still have times where we may scream and yell at God cuz we're just mad about something that happened. And yet he continually turns and gives us grace and love. We feel that presence around us, even when we are acting like children, you know, and that's what adoption has taught me too, is just the perfect love of the father for us in the midst of all our messiness. Well, on that note, in closing, I was just hoping that you'd pray, pray for the listeners, whether they identified with one sentence or your entire story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Father God, you are so good to us in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our brokenness. God, you still, every morning when we wake up, you are delighting over us. You're singing over us. You are rejoicing in our very existence on this earth because you love us so deeply. And God, that just makes me think right now about all the women who are listening who may have a story like mine that have tried to spend their lives controlling everything around them, that have fought shame, that have fought the feelings of not being worthy of love, that have fought feeling like a failure, those demons that seem to just follow me all the way through my life, Lord, and how you didn't come for me to sit in those thoughts. You didn't call any of us to sit in any of that, but you called us to knowing that you are a God of redemption and love and that you don't hold any of that against us. God, it says that when we accept Jesus as our Savior, that we are in Christ. So you look at us and you don't see the mess. You don't see all of these failures and faults that we tend to keep focused on, keeping that horizontal look around us. You see Jesus. Jesus is perfection. And while we aren't perfect as humans, we are wrapped in the perfection of Jesus when we believe in him. And so I pray that that would sink in deep and that we would know that you don't judge in a way that you cast us aside every time we mess up. Because that is not your way. Your way is to love us unconditionally. God, I pray for every woman who has listened to this podcast, who has felt the pain of infertility and of loss in miscarriage, maybe even stillborn or the loss of a child. God, I pray an abundance of grace and mercy over these women. I pray that you would give them the grace to trust you while they wait. God, the waiting is so hard. I pray that they wouldn't waste that time of waiting. 
I pray that you would meet them every single second in the middle of the waiting. And that just like we've been waiting in quarantine for things to open back up and our, for our lives to return to a new normal, I pray that just like we are not supposed to be wasting this time, that you would not let the women who are waiting for these families that we, they know that you've promised to them to form, whether it's through infertility treatments, whether it's through adoption, while they're waiting for these children, God, that this time would not be wasted and that it would be used to sit at your feet, to listen to you, to be ministered to by you and by your armies of angels, that they would use this time to grow closer to you. Because we know that every, every story in the Bible of a person that you called to greatness or to a specific mission had a gap time from the time you called them to the time that it was fulfilled. And every time that gap time was used through hardship, through triumph, to mold them into the person that they needed to be in order to fulfill the purpose and the calling that you had over their life. So I pray for every woman who is sitting in that gap time right now, Lord, that they would not let the enemy put feelings of anger towards you in their hearts or resentment or bitterness. We pray against those things, but that they would have trust, immense trust in your plan for their life and in who you are and that you are a good God and that we can trust you in that waiting. God, we praise you that you are a God who never leaves us or forsakes us and that we do not have to be afraid. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. My joy. <laughs> I appreciate you taking time to go through just just some of your story. Mm-hmm. And it, again, if there is anything that the Story Night team can do for you or help with connections or community, we are here. Emily, I really appreciate you taking taking the time to share your story with us. Thank you again so much for listening to the Story Night podcast, and we'll be back with another story. (laughs) Good night, y'all. The Story Night podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women. Able to take the ding out. I can't hear you. Oh, why not? You can't hear me? Why can I not hear you? I don't know. <laughs> oh, I know why I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Turn <laughs> <laughs> the volume off on my computer. <laughs> now that is an outtake. Oh, yeah, that may. <laughs> All the bloopers come when I, could, when I record with my family members. <laughs> I turned my volume off. Why can't I hear you? We're talking and I can't hear you. Speak up. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to mute the volume on my computer while I'm talking. Perfect. So that no dings come That through. sounds great. And then when your mouth starts moving, I'm going to turn the volume off. So, and now I can't remember where we left off. I know where we are. Okay, good. Control. You've got it. You've got it in your notes. I trust you. Okay. (laughs) Here we go.